on Saturday to worship and proclaim the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would bless my mouth, my mind, my heart, and the ears and the hearts that hear this. I pray, God, that somehow through the foolishness of preaching, that we can be changed and altered and transformed to look more like your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns throughout all the ages and all of eternity. And the church can say, Amen. I just want to speak very briefly on this subject and this idea, uh, nothing lost, nothing lost. When you look at the text that we just read, I think probably my favorite one is the Revelation text, where you see this beautiful, beautiful image of what is reality to come. And it looks like this, no more hunger, no more death, no more pain, no more tears, no more heartache. Uh, the sun is the light, and we live in, in, in this new reality. But I want to encourage you that that reality that we just read from Revelation is accessible and available to us in the here and now. And miracles were for that purpose. Miracles were there so that we can look at these stories and say, you know what? Every once in a while, the almighty power of the holy God can come in and, and reson resonate in our current world. Can you say amen? Like, this is possible. And so when we say nothing is lost, when I say nothing is lost, what I mean by that is, even when it seems dark and we lose somebody, like Rachel Held Evans, you know, so for a week we've been mourning her loss. This is a voice who meant a lot to us, especially this community. I remember the first kind of get-together that we had to sketch out ideas we read a quote from her that became really the, the bedrock of what we are trying to do. And so she meant a lot to us. She was a good one. I like to say that. She was a good one. Um, I, it made me have immediate feelings again about losing my friend Amy a few, week, a few weeks ago, a few months ago now. And uh, I remember I was talking to my sister on the phone, and uh, I'll never forget the first thing she said. She was crying, and and we're both crying on the phone. And then she said something, and I, I couldn't agree more. She said, she was a good one. She was a good one. That's exactly how people felt about Tabitha. It's exactly how people felt about Dorcas, but I like Tabitha. I just feel like Tabitha feels a little bit better. It seems a little bit better to call her that. Peter walks into the room, and he gets rid of all the people who are crying. And he leans in, and he says to her, Tabitha, get up. Now, there's a few things that immediately should catch your attention. Number one, he doesn't invoke the name Jesus. And for us who are miracle-believing Pentecostal folks, that's interesting. Because usually we do everything in the name of, right? But Peter just goes up to her. He walks up to this corpse and he says, I love, I love the intimacy of this, right? He walks up to her and he says, and just in that simple command, no Jesus mentioned, right? Just in that simple command, here you have a disciple of Jesus Christ speaking a new reality into existence. The vocation of the church, you and I, disciples of Jesus Christ, is to be the very conduit of God's continuous victory over death in all of its forms. And what we do is we get right up next to the very thing that is dead, decaying, the very thing that's rotting away in our society. We look at things, we look at death in its various forms of war 
and violence and instability, or if you're in Youngstown and Newcastle and the surrounding communities, what we see a lot of is poverty. And we look at all of these forms of death, and you know what we do? We get right up next to it. And we say, hey, get up. We speak life into the various forms of death that surround us. And what we say is simple. We give it a command. Rise up. Rise up. LeBron James was in a press conference last year or two years ago. And he he didn't like the questions that the interviewers were asking him. And so he looked at all of them and he says, do better. And to me, that's kind of what we do. We look at injustice in the world in all of its forms and death and decay. And we say, hey, rise up. There's a higher level that we, the church, are calling you to. And I think that's very powerful when we can start to live into that. And this life is for everybody. So this is what we see in Revelation, that everyone, all the nations gathered around the Lamb, all the nations gathered around the table, all the nations brought together, not just your group, not just your people. I've, I've heard folks say this quite a bit. There's a lot of folks who are racist who are going to be surprised who's in heaven with them. Yeah, right. uh, another way of putting it is there's a lot of Pentecostals who are going to be surprised when they see Catholics. There's a lot of Baptists who are going to be surprised when they see Lutherans. There's a lot of Mennonites. Well, I don't, the Mennonites are just sweet. They're not going to be surprised when they see anybody. They're going to be cool with everyone. What I'm trying to say is everybody is there in this eternal kingdom. Everybody is there. Everyone at the table. But then the Gospel of John comes along. And gives us a warning. And John says this. This is all real. God is making all things new right now and in in the future. But he's making all things new. God is reclaiming everything back unto himself. God is restoring and redeeming everything back unto himself. But here's John's warning. You're not going to see it if you're not looking for it. If you you don't have eyes. I talked about this a few weeks ago. If you don't have resurrection vision, you're not going to see it. You have to have the eyes that can see it. Now, I'm not going to say any names, but I happen to know someone who's colorblind. And last week I talked about faithful blindness. And um, there was a, an article I was reading before today about how colorblind people, and, and Nelson, I'm, I'm not going to mention his name, <laughs> but um, he has told me before that what you and I see, he can't see. And vice versa, what he sees, we don't see. And this can be challenging if you're trying to pick out a ripe banana or like uh, uh, an apple that's rotten and you can't tell because the hue of it is a little bit different. Yeah, an outfit, matching socks, you name it. Um, again, I'm not mentioning any names here. Uh, but I think that there's something there. John says you have to have eyes to see it. If you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. And last week, remember I said that we're healed through blindness too. That there is a faithful blindness, that, that Paul's healing, what changed him from Saul to Paul, was a faithful form of blindness. And so we need to pray in this Easter season, it's the fourth Sunday of Easter, we need to pray that God gives us eyes to see this new life, this new reality. And when things seem dark, and dang it, they're dark. This week, here we have another school shooting. And you know what's crazy? I was, I was in a meeting earlier today, and this was brought up. I said, what, what makes us scared is that we hear about another school shooting, and it doesn't even affect us anymore. We're happy if we can make it through a week without one. It's dark. But here's what we do. We look at these realities, these false realities. We, we have the right amount of blindness and the right amount of vision. And what we say is, hey, we get up right next to this form of death and we say, rise up. Do better. <laughs> there's a higher form. There's a higher way. 
There's a higher way, but we have to be willing to see it. Here's what I, I, I was kind of questioning this story of Tabitha because it doesn't really seem to have a theological output. It doesn't really give you anything. Other than there was a lady named Dorcas, Tabitha. She died. She was a great woman. She died. They sent for Peter. Peter came, said, Tabby, get up. She was raised from the dead. Resuscitated. She died eventually. The main message is, I think this is what the writer of Acts is saying. Luke is trying to tell you. Luke wrote Acts. So I think what Luke is trying to tell you is, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, anything is possible. And what you see happening in the book of Acts is this weird continuation, right? Here's what happens. The earthly ministry of Jesus does not end with his ascension. The earthly ministry of Jesus continues in the acts of the apostles. And what you see is this awesome continuity that Jesus didn't go anywhere, that he is still doing what he does best through his body. We are the body of Christ on earth. And we see it in these little windows, like Peter walking into a room and just saying, Tabby, get up. And, and all of a sudden, here you have a woman who was dead, who's now raised to life. And, and all I'm trying to say is, poorly, but all I'm trying to say is, the resurrection disrupted reality. And now you and I as Christians are these crazy folks who have a different view of what's real. And the world looks at us and says, are you nuts? And all we can say is we have a different set of lenses that we see the world through. God has changed us. In the here and now, we actually think that the world is being reclaimed by God. That we are being raised. That, that reality has shifted. That God is reconciling the world back unto himself. And when you say he is risen, this is Easter still. When you say he is risen, by saying that, you're making a radical claim about reality. That a man 2,000 years ago was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the grave. But on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. You know how crazy that is? That's why I love y'all. Because I want to hang around people who have a different view of reality. Because this current reality that we're living in needs some help. It needs some help. And it's only going to happen when people can see it. Nothing is lost. Here's what I would hope we have here. A sacred imagination. Nothing is lost, right? God is still working through God's spirit in the lives of people and in human society to restore the broken world. Now here's a question for you. Does that mean that we as Christians have rosy colored glasses and that we're just always happy, la-di-da Christians? I don't think so. I don't think that means that we live without disappointments and without defeats and without setbacks. I don't think this is shallow optimism. I sure as don't think that this is positive thinking and Norman Vincent Peale and, uh, or the televangelist name it and claim it, blab it and grab it sort of thinking that you see on TV. Because if you lived in this world long enough, even with Jesus and the Spirit, you know that life happens. You live long enough, you know that there will be disappointments and heartache and setbacks. So resurrected people, resurrection people, we don't, it's not that we, we think we live in a world outside of trouble and trial. We experience everything there is to experience. Sickness, setbacks, death, mourning. This is exactly what we see in the text. We are not a people of proof 
or false optimism, where we can make good arguments why we're not affected by this world or the realities of this world, the false realities of this world. We're a people of trust. And I can't say this enough. Faith is not cheap certitude. Faith is trust. That God is not done being God yet for people who go through hard stuff. Listen, I saw the internet flood with explanations on why Rachel Hudd Evans died this week. Right? You got a lot of crazy, just very mean people saying some really mean stuff because they disagreed with her. I want to tell you, the good ones die, folks. And, and the minute we start looking for reasons and we try to rationalize suffering, we, we really step into some dangerous territory. Look at Tabitha. The scripture says she was a good one. Helped out poor widows. Gave them what they needed. She lived a life of faith. Check this out. The only woman in this entire scripture who's ever called a disciple in the Greek. The only time you see the word disciple attributed to a woman in the feminine Greek is Tabitha. She was special. And yet she still died. So faith is not denying the story. Faith is not a false optimism. Faith is trusting even in the midst of our grief that the story is not over, that God is not done being God yet. Mahdi, um, we like to watch movies, and sometimes when there's a sad part of the movie or a scary part of the movie, she will either hold on to her blankie or cover her face. But what I respect about Mahdi, and I owe her a dollar because every time I, I, say, I mention them in a sermon, I give them a dollar. What I respect about Mahdi is that even though it's a tough part of the story, she doesn't leave. She doesn't quit. She holds on. She covers up for a little bit. Grieves a little bit, but she doesn't quit on the story. She wants to stay there and finish out the movie because she trusts that in the end, it's going to work out. That in the end, no more tears, no more suffering, no more night, no more hunger. You guys get what I'm saying? That there's an eschatological redemption that's on its way, and that's happening now. I think this eschatological tension is what the widows are living into. So let me just encourage you. What do you do when a good one dies? So we lost somebody. I lost Amy earlier this year. We lost Rachel Hall Evans last week. What do you do when the good ones die? You do what the widows did. You, you pick up what they left, right? Notice, notice the scene here. Peter walks in. And as he's walking in, the, the scripture tells us they're, they're holding and lifting up the garments. That she, she was a seamstress. So she made these things. And they hold up the garments that she made and they're crying and they're showing and they want him to see the work that she did, the ministry that she did. These were poor widows. And in that time, widows, if you were a woman and you had no husband, you had no income, you had no respect, it was a horrible culture to live in for women. But these women hold up these garments and they, they show them to Peter. And, and I think there's a lesson in this. What do you do when you lose someone like Amy or Rachel or someone in your life that Someone that you love, someone that was a pillar of the faith, and God takes them home, or God welcomes them home. What do you do with that? We need relics, folks. This is this is the art of relics. You know, in this in this building, you can go upstairs. There's some down here. You can find relics all over the place. And for a long time, I used to say to myself, "All oh, relics. That's that's tradition. That's dead faith." And what I didn't realize there's a good quote. It is a tradition, but it's the tradition of the best form. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. 
Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And relics, yeah, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And what relics do is they give us garments to hold on to and to lift up and to remind ourselves and to show other people that these folks, these mothers of the faith, they formed us. They were spiritual midwives in our lives. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. And it's that very sort of thinking that allows the faith to continue. So relics are great. We need them. All relics are is just something that represents a saint that really helped form your life. And, and that's what they had. They had relics. So they lift up the relics. Now, fortunately, she comes back. She comes back only to die again. She was resuscitated. She didn't live forever. Hold up the garments. She was restored by community. There's no healing outside of community. Here's the message behind that. If it wasn't for her community, she would have stayed dead. <laughs> they were the ones who sent for Peter. Then I guess uh, the point of that is there's no healing by yourself. You can't be a bunker type Christian and experience the resuscitation of a Tabitha. The reason why Tabitha was brought back by Peter was because she loved a community who loved her back in the moment that she needed it. And when that community had her back, they sent for Peter in spite of the fact that she was dead. That's faith. Faith is not certitude. Faith is when you doubt your doubts. So here you have someone who's already dead. And they're crying, which means they know she's dead. It wasn't false optimism. They know she's dead. But in that moment, they doubted their doubts enough to send for Peter. And she's restored by community. Nothing's lost. The power of these type of stories, and it's a short little story that we read in Easter. We dedicate this service to her, uh, Tabitha. And, and, and I guess we could say, well, that's great, but what does that really do for us in today and this time? I think that we need to remember that gospel stories challenge the status quo. And they give us a new understanding of what power really is. So here's what you see a lot of in Acts. You see poor people experiencing radical forms of power. In a world where everybody viewed power as Caesar and empire, wealth and affluence. You died when you were sick unless you were rich. The rich could afford health care. But if you didn't have health care, you died. And here you have a poor widow taking care of poor widows. You have this woman who's making garments for people and they love her for it. And I think the community was really uh, hopeful, and yet I think they wanted her back for two reasons, if I'm being honest with you. I think they wanted her back because, number one, she was vital to them. There was a tinge of selfishness in there, right? Like, we need this lady back. She can't die, and obviously God agreed. So there's a justice note. If this was wine, you know, you taste the wine and say, hmm, there's a hint of justice in this. There's a, a little bit of justice in this. But also, I think what we see is that power is redefined. And the very things that happen in the book of Acts, Caesar could never replicate. Because God comes rushing in like a flood to help poor people. To help folks who have no power. And here you have this poor community of widows and this poor widow laying out dead on her bed. And in a minute, 
God is so powerful, you don't even have to say his name all the time, obviously. Peter leans down. And in a community where there's no power, and there's no justice, and a lot of uh, oppression and exploitation on these, these women, Peter says, and, and this is my interpretation, it doesn't matter what this current age tells you. There is power in the God we serve. And even though you've been marginalized, he didn't sell this person. And even though you've been marginalized to the fringes of society, God has given resurrection power to people that the world least expects it to come to. Caveat. She rises. And in that moment, we see a window of what the kingdom of God is like. It is an upside down topsy-weird weird kingdom where, where power is reshaped and reformed and reimagined. And here you have the least of these, the poor, the, the ostracized, the marginalized. These are the folks that God comes rushing in, raising them up, back into new life. So never underestimate the power of the gospel story. Never underestimate the redemptive power that the resurrection, resurrection claims over us. Centuries later, there was a group of people who would later read this story of a God who was still at work creating a new reality, valuing folks that the world didn't value. And they were slaves. But when they read the story of Tabitha, it gave them a new imagination that God is still at work in the world, turning things upside down, that new things, new realities are possible. There's a new distribution of power among the poor and the least of these, like widows. And if that could work for Tabitha back then, it can work for us now. So there's Tabithas all over the world. There's Tabithas in the church right now. We need to honor them because nothing is lost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.